Well, again, thank you for being here. And so if you brought your Bibles, we're going to look at two texts for tonight. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 21, familiar chapter. And we'll probably read this every time we meet in regards on this study. And then we'll look at First um, uh, Thessalonians, another familiar passage, chapter 4. And so right now I want to read from Revelation 21. And I'm going to read verses 1 and, and following. God's Word says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then, if you would, look to First Thessalonians, a familiar passage. 1 Thessalonians 4, and we'll look at verses uh, 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4. God's Word says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest your sorrow as others lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. If you will like, look at the screen just a moment, there's a quote from Vance Havener. If you're a Christian, you're not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven. You're a citizen of heaven making your way through this world. I want you to hear um, tonight for the first time uh, Randy Alcorn. Randy's the author of several books about heaven most noted author about heaven. A lot of people quote Randy Alcorn. This is his main textbook uh, uh, we purchased. And a lot of my information, most of my information came out of this book and some other, some other books from other authors. But I want you to listen, watch this video clip. Now, there will be some things said 
Don't let it upset you like it did me because we'll work through them and we'll understand what he's talking about. And so, uh, anyway, if you would, watch this, uh, watch this session from Randy Alcorn. Okay, session one, I believe, Cal. There are, no, there are not any notes. What is heaven? Glad you asked. Heaven is God's special or central dwelling place where he lives with angels and his people. Now, this is an important point because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present, right? So if we say heaven is the dwelling place of God, well, what isn't the dwelling place of God? Is God here in this room? Yes, he is. way in heaven more than he is here. Yes. So he is here. Absolutely. No question about it. He is here. Jesus Christ indwells us. Holy Spirit indwells us. And even if there wasn't a believer in this room, would God be in this room? Yes, because he is everywhere present. But there is a special or central dwelling place where he lives with the angelic beings his creatures, um, and where he lives with his people who have died and gone home to be with him. It's also in scripture the place where God's throne is, the location from which he rules the universe and carries out his sovereign plan. So whenever you see the throne of God, that's heaven. That's his dwelling place. And the, the um, seraphim, cherubim, those that surround him and, and cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's where they're located. Oh Lord, I live as a fish in a vessel of water, only enough to keep me alive, but in heaven I shall swim in the ocean. Here I have a little air in me to keep me breathing, but there I shall have sweet and fresh gales. Here I have a beam of sun to lighten my darkness, a warm ray to keep me from freezing. Yonder I shall live in light and warmth forever. Quicken my hunger and thirst after the realm above. Cyprian, writing in AD 240, let us greet the day which assigns each of us to his own home. What day is that? Death. He's talking about the day of death which snatches us from this place and sets us free from the snares of the world and restores us to paradise and the kingdom. Restores. Isn't that interesting language? Because we've been born into a world that's under the curse, yet there's this sense of that this world as it now is is not my home and that there is a nostalgia for Eden that's built into every one of us, even though we've never known Eden Yet, isn't it part of us? Isn't it like we, we, we feel like we've lost so much? I was at the hotel this morning, and, uh, of course, the, the, the obligatory television is going on in the background, and I moved as far away as I could to try to meditate a little bit. But, of course, I'm hearing uh, about a 25-year-old woman who's run over and, and killed by a reckless driver. Um, I uh, hear about uh, an abduction. I hear about wars. I hear about a terrorist plot involving a bomb. And guess what, folks? This world is not heaven. You knew that. 
Does God bless us in this life? Of course he does. Does God heal sometimes? Of course he does. And by all means, pray for it. Does God entrust wealth into our care? Yes, sometimes he does. But this is not the place where the great and ultimate promises of God are fully fulfilled. That place is heaven. Anyone who has been in foreign lands longs to return to his own native land. We regard paradise as our native land. So Paul says in Philippians 1, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is what? Better by far. Not just, well, you know, it's sort of a trade-off. Um, maybe I'd really, it's really a lot better to live here. But, you know, if I'm going to die, I'd rather go to heaven than hell. Uh, no, it's, it's better by far to depart and be with Christ. And by the way, if he was going to a state of unconsciousness at death, do you think he'd be saying it was better by far? And does he mean that he will be with Christ, but he won't know that he's with Christ? That he won't be aware of the presence of Christ because he'll be unconscious? No. As long as we are at home in the body, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are away from the Lord. Now, God is in this world. God dwells within us. And yet, we are not directly yet in his presence. We would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Why? Because he doesn't care about the body? Oh, no. He makes very clear, actually later in this passage, but certainly in 1 Corinthians 15 and other passages, the importance of the resurrection. It's, it's, the, it's not the body that's the problem. It's that we live in a world that's under the curse, and we desire to be with Christ. So Colossians 3 says, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Um, so the, the old saying about, you know, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good, that has no scriptural basis whatsoever. Those who are the most heavenly minded are of the most earthly good. Now, sometimes when people say that, they mean, He's kind of out there, like he doesn't really care about what's going on around him. That's not heavenly minded. That's just being apathetic or distracted. Heavenly minded means I, rem I remember and I set my heart on and I set my mind on the things of God, the things in the presence of God, the things of heaven, the eternal things that will make a massive difference in the way that I live. That will make a massive difference in my willingness to sacrifice because I know that this is the short term. You know, there's a dot and, and there's a line. And the dot is the life we now live. A dot begins, it ends, it's brief. But from that dot extends a line that goes on for eternity. We all live in the dot we have no choice. This is where we live, in the dot. And we're going to die. But death is not the end. And from that dot extends a line that's going on for eternity. So we all live in the dot. But if we're smart, 
We will not live for the dot. We will live for the line, our eternal life with Christ that goes on forever. Tozer, who's one of my favorites. But we have come to a wretched emphasis in the Christian church so that when we talk about the future, we talk about eschatology instead of heaven. Now, there are so many people that are in the ins and outs of this scenario and that scenario in Iran and Iraq and is this going to happen and it used to be everybody was talking about the Soviet Union and now everybody's talking about the Muslim world and, and uh, you know when I was a, a brand new Christian everybody in the 70s and everybody's reading uh, Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey and who's the Antichrist and people were coming out with all kinds of stuff and you know what? The real emphasis in Scripture about the future is centered on Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, not the fine details about the Antichrist and the meaning of 666 and, and all of that. I don't mean that they're, it's wrong to talk about those things. I just mean let's center ourselves where Scripture centers us. C.S. Lewis said in The Weight of Glory, at present we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. There's that longing in us. I was just listening, actually, as I was driving down here last night, I was listening uh, to an audio book, and it was some sh short stories, science fiction short stories. And one of them, and I was totally unprepared for this, but this was God's perfect timing, was of a man who in his life has seen a number of times Four, actually, in his lifetime, a door that leads to a garden that in a dream he had visited as a child. And he sees that door and there's this longing inside of him. I want to go through that door to that garden, to that perfect, beautiful place. This was, as far as I know, not written by a believer. But this is the longing for Eden, the longing for something better, something more. And he never goes through that door. And it's the tragedy of the story. Uh, Hebrews 11, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. I like that term, nomads. Sometimes it's pilgrims, uh, but we're not as familiar with nomads. But the idea of the wanderer, this, this world as it now is, is not my home. Now that's an important qualification. Because we're going to see that the statement, this world is not my home. Earth is not my home. And I can't wait to be delivered from earth. Because I'm going to spend eternity out there in the angelic realm as a disembodied spirit. This is one of the huge misconceptions about heaven. And is not the teaching of the scriptures as we'll see. But this world as it now is, is not my home. I was not made to be a person under bondage to sin, I was not made to be a person living in a fallen, cursed world full of death and suffering. This was not the design at the beginning, and it is not God's eternal design. So Hebrews 11 goes on to say, obviously people who say such things are looking forward to a country of their own. 
If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So, nothing is more diagnosed more often than our homesickness for heaven. We think what we want is sex, drugs, alcohol, new job, raise, doctorate, spouse, large screen television, new car, cabin in the woods, condo in Hawaii. But what we really want is the person that we were made for and the place we were made for. We were made for a person. Jesus is that person. We were, we were made for a place. Heaven is that person place we are never going to be satisfied with anyone who is less than Jesus and everyone else is less than Jesus and we are never going to be satisfied with any place that is less than heaven and every other place is less than heaven so that's the yearning that the people of God have inside this week till I could uh, share it with you. But we want to go back to, to, your, to your sheets now. And first of all, we want to look at is heaven our default destination or is, or is hell? For every American who believes he's going to hell, there's 120 who believe they're going to heaven. Listen to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, remember he says for every 120 or for everyone that believes they're going to hell, you have um, 120 who believe they're going to heaven. In Matthew chapter 7, you turn there. Matthew 7, familiar passage, listen to verse 13 and 14, or verse 13. Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. What would keep us out of heaven is universal. You know Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. So what keeps us out of heaven? Sin separates us from a relationship with God. Isaiah 59. Let me read 59 verse 2. Listen to what it says. A familiar scripture, no doubt. Simply says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So what separates us? Our sin separates us. Because we're sinners, we're not entitled to enter God's presence. We cannot enter heaven as we are. So something has to happen to our sin. So heaven is not our default destination. No one goes there automatically unless our sin problem is resolved the only place we go is our true default destination, and that's hell. So just remember, and you can share it with others, that heaven is not our default destination. Reason for that, 
You're well aware it's because of sin. Sin separates us from the presence of God, even from the face of God. So something has to happen to our sin. And so our true default destination is not heaven, but it's hell. So everyone without Jesus Christ is destined for hell. Jesus made it clear. Jesus made it clear that most people are not going to heaven. Small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, pardon a typo, and only a few find it. So don't cross your fingers and hope that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And so that's it's very dangerous. You know, you'll, you'll ask people, you know, where, do you, where are you going when you die? And they'll say, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. And they, they're sincere in saying that. They do hope that. They really do. They desire to go to, to, to heaven, but yet they've never done anything with their sin. Okay? Heaven, our default destination, or is it hell? We can know, and we should know, before we die. And because we can die at any time, we need to know now. So you can know for certain that you're going to heaven. And uh, you can die at any time. So people really need to know that right now. The voice that whispers, there is no hurry. You can always think about it later. It's not God's voice. Because God says, now is the day of salvation. And so I remember when I was lost, and I know the Holy Spirit was convicted me to be saved. And I was said in one church service after another, and I was, I, was a child, I was a kid, 11 years old. And I knew before 11 years old, first, I didn't want to go to hell. And I always thought by just being good and going to church, and my family, our family went to church. We were very active in church. My dad was very active. My mom was active. And I was just for certain that I was going to go to heaven. And after all, I was a kid, but I knew that I, I was a sinner. And I knew that I couldn't go to heaven unless something was, that I did something with my sin. And so God convicted me before I was 11 years old. It just took me a couple of years to, to admit what God had already um, made me aware of. And so uh, sitting on the back seat, a uh, back pew at Rockwood Baptist Church, I couldn't stand it anymore. And so during the invitation hymn, I went to the preacher and I said, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And Brother Scott shared with me how I could go to heaven. And so we need to know for certain that we're going to heaven. You say, well, can we know for certain? We're going to talk about that a little later on. But the main thing we're trying to see tonight is that heaven is not... Uh, you know, it's not our automatic destination. That is hell. We were born without an autopilot set. We were born with our autopilot set toward hell. And so that's the direction that a person is going. It is left up to us to make the decision where we go to heaven or hell. It's your choice. It's our choice. Years ago, I preached a sermon on it's your choice. And, and the essence of the sermon, I was, if you remember, it was at Calvary. And there were two crosses, three crosses. And Jesus was in the middle. And you had thief on each side of Jesus. And, and they had to make a choice. 
One thief looked at Jesus and said, If you're Christ, if, and there's the doubt and unbelief, if you're Christ, save yourself and us. And he cursed Christ. And God let him do that. That was his choice to do that. The other thief says, Well, why do you rail at him? He hasn't done anything amiss. He hasn't done anything wrong. And he looked to Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said today, you'll be with me in paradise. So he had a choice. So in railing on Christ, he recognized him as Lord and asked him to, to remember him when he came into his kingdom. And, and God says, okay, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay? So it's a choice that, that one makes. Is heaven our default destination or hell? The best life, and this is from Randy Alcorn, the best life on earth is a glimpse of heaven. The worst of life is a glimpse of hell. For Christians, this presents, uh, this presents life, uh, this present life, excuse me, is the closest that they'll come to hell. For unbelievers, this life is the closest that they'll come to heaven. Think of that. Right now, for the unbeliever, this earth, as bad as it is, is their heaven. I mean, they're going to be here unless, unless they, uh, they trust Christ and, and they, uh, uh, they trust Him and place their faith and trust in Him. This, this is the closest to heaven they're ever going to be. But for the Christian, this is the closest to hell that we're going to be. So we're, we're, our destination is heaven. You're made, and you need to correct the typo there, you're made for a person and a place. Jesus is the person. Heaven is the place. And then they're a package. You can't get to heaven without Jesus, or you can't get Jesus without having heaven. They're a package deal. So if you have Jesus, you have heaven, have heaven, you have Jesus. So, is heaven our, our default destination? No. Hell is. But that can change when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. So what you need to know about heaven, okay? The first thing you need to know is that you are a sinner. I know this sounds elementary, but a lot of people are not aware of the facts. Sin is what ended Eden's paradise. And all of us, like Adam and Eve, we're sinners. And because of that, sin has its consequences. Sin has consequences. But God has provided a solution for our sins. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus loved us so much that he became a man to deliver us from our sin. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so Christ became incarnate. Christ was God living with us on earth. Now God is living inside us by his Holy Spirit. Okay? So Jesus died on the cross as our representative, 
a substitute. Then God poured his wrath out on Jesus instead of us. You see what's happening? So Jesus came to die for our sins. It should have been me on that cross, suffering for my own sin. Should have been you on the cross, suffering for your own sin. But God loved us so much, not only us, but the entire world, that he sent Jesus to die in our place as a substitute on that cross. And when Jesus hung on that cross, God poured all of his wrath out on sin upon Jesus. We need never forget that. Okay? So what, what do you need to know? Well, we're a sinner. We know Christ died for our sins. He experienced the wrath of God for our sins. Christ, who stood in our place, conveyed. Now notice that. He stood in our place and he conveyed righteous, his righteousness to us so that we're declared innocent of our sins and declared righteous. So we may enter the very presence of God in heaven and be at home with him there. So very important to understand that when Christ died on the cross, he stood in our place and he conveyed his righteousness to us. When we trust him, we place our faith in the Lord Jesus, he conveys his righteousness to us and he declares us innocent. Now, uh, uh, there's a financial term uh, that's, that's called, uh, uh, he, um, some, uh, let me see, he, not, he placed, but he imputed his righteousness on us. He imputed, he took his righteousness, he imputed, he added his righteousness to our account. He gave us his righteousness. And so he took care of our unrighteousness and he declared us innocent. Only when our sins are dealt with, only when our sins are dealt with in Christ can we enter heaven. We cannot pay our own way. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, 12. Okay? So... Either you are a follower of Jesus or not. And Christ said, he who is not with me is against me. So you're either a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus. Okay? Question. Have you confessed your sins? Have you asked Christ to forgive you? Have you placed your trust in Christ's death and resurrection on your behalf? Ask Jesus to be your Lord and empower you to follow him. Have you done that? Well, I'm assuming all of us here tonight have. But just in case, the only way you'll ever go to heaven is to admit that you're a sinner, confess your sins, ask Christ to forgive you, trust in Christ's death, and his resurrection on your behalf, and ask Jesus to empower you, to come into your life, forgive you, and empower you, and uh, for, you, for, him to be at, for you to be at home with him. Okay? 
Have you confessed your sins? Have you asked Christ to forgive you? Placed your trust? Asked Jesus to be your Lord and empower you? Wouldn't it be tragic to study about heaven but didn't go there? You thought, well, my, ter- my goodness, you know, uh, who would ever do that? Well, there, there are people that, that do that all the time. But it would be terrible to, to hope that you're going to heaven, to think that you're going to heaven, to study about heaven, and then miss heaven all to It's heaven altogether. So what do you need to know about heaven? Let's look at what is the nature of the present heaven. What is the nature of the present heaven? 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We read that just a few minutes ago about uh, the rapture when Christ comes back for the church and he calls forth those who have died in the Lord and those that are still alive who have trusted him. So when a Christian dies, he or she enters into what is referred to in theology as the immediate, intermediate, excuse me, intermediate state. Now listen, this is very important. It's the transitional period. If you want a good book, this is a very good book. I bought this years ago. It's about by uh, Edwin Lutzer. It's called One Minute After You Die. And he spends, uh, spends a lot of time on this intermediate state after we die, okay? So in theology, notice what it says, when a Christian dies, he enters into what is referred to in theology as this intermediate state, the transitional period between life on earth and the future resurrection life, okay? Usually, when we refer to heaven, we mean the place that Christians go when they die. And this is what I'm calling the present or the intermediate heaven. So what happens when we die? Well, we go to heaven. Well, what does that mean? Well, we go to an intermediate state. We don't go to the eternal heaven at once. But we go to this intermediate state. Okay? It's called, uh, referred to in theology as the present heaven. Or the intermediate heaven. More so the intermediate heaven. But we would know it probably be easier to think of it as the present heaven. So my mom and dad are deceased. Where are they? They're in this intermediate heaven. Now, what are they doing there? Not not the activity they're doing, but they're waiting for their bodily resurrection. They're in this intermediate state, this intermediate heaven. The present heaven is an intermediate heaven. Okay, let's go on. Will we be with the Lord forever? Well, the answer is yes. We're going to be with the Lord forever. Will we be with Him in exactly the same place that heaven is now? It's a different subject. No. And we'll talk about this for a few weeks. We'll be in Christ's presence, and we'll be joyful, and we'll be looking forward to our bodily resurrection and permanent relocation to the new earth. 
Now, just let that soak in. When a Christian dies, he or she enters from what's referred to as an immediate state or the transition period between life on earth and the future resurrection life. And usually when we refer to heaven, we mean the place that Christians go when they die. And this is the present, this is an intermediate heaven. Will we be with the Lord? We'll be with the Lord. Will we be with Him in exactly the same place that heaven is now? No, in the present heaven, we'll be in Christ's present presence and we'll be joyful. We'll be looking forward to our bodily resurrection and our permanent relocation on the new earth. We'll get into that a little later and you can have questions and, and we'll, try to, uh, we'll try to answer those. Okay? When we die, believers in Christ will not go to the heaven where we'll live forever. Instead, we'll go to the intermediate heaven. In that heaven, where those who died, covered by the blood of Jesus, where they are now, will wait the time of Christ's return to the earth, our bodily resurrection, final judgment, and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. So we're in an intermediate heaven. We're waiting on our bodily resurrection, and Christ will come. He'll rapture the church, and he'll carry us, he'll carry us up. When he carries us up, then we'll have a tribulation period. We'll have the thousand-year reign of Christ, and later we'll go on into eternity where we'll have uh, the destruction of Satan, how he's thrown into the bottomless pit, We'll have the war of Armageddon, and then we'll have the complete destruction of Satan. But until then, we're in an intermediate, we're in the present heaven, waiting for our bodily resurrection. I know you have a lot of questions, and we'll get to those. And so we're not in the final, the eternal heaven. So you've got an immediate heaven, and you've got an eternal heaven where we'll reign with Christ forever and forever. Where? On the, on the earth, okay? Distinguishing the present and the future heavens. There will also be a new kind of unification of heaven and earth. There will be a joining of heaven and earth in this new creation. Let me read something in uh, Alcorn's book. Um, hold just a moment. Alcorn says this, he says, Let me suggest an analogy to illustrate the difference between the present heaven and the eternal, eternal heaven. Suppose you lived in Miami, and one day you inherited a beautiful house, fully furnished on a gorgeous hillside overlooking Santa Barbara, California. This was written a long time ago. Um, with a home comes a wonderful job doing something you've always wanted to do. Not only that, but you're also near close family members who moved from Miami years ago. And on your flight to Santa Barbara, you change planes in Dallas where you sp spend an afternoon 
Some other family members who you haven't seen in years will meet you in Dallas Airport and board the plane with you to Santa Barbara, and you look forward to seeing them. And now when the Miami ticket agent asks you, where are you headed? Would you say Dallas? No, you would say Santa Barbara because that's your final destination. If you mention Dallas at all, you would only say, I'm going to Dallas. I'm going to Santa Barbara by the way of Dallas. When you talk to your friends in Miami about where you're going to live, would you focus on Dallas? No, you might not even mention Dallas, even though you'll be in da a Dallas dweller for several hours. Even if you spend a week in Dallas, it wouldn't be your focus. Dallas is just a stop along the way. Your true destination, your new permanent home is in Santa Barbara. Similar to heaven, we will go when we die, the present heaven, it's just a temporary dwelling place, a stop along the way to our final destination, the new earth. Okay? Now, this is what the Bible promises us. We'll live with Christ in each other forever. Not in the immediate or present heaven, but on the new earth where God will be at home with his people. Now, just pause a moment and just think about God created the heavens and the earth, the earth we live right now. And the purpose for the earth was to be a perfect place for man to dwell. Sin came into the world, and because of that, the world has been corrupt, even to the point that the animals, they themselves are desiring for a new earth, for it to be like God intended for it to be. And it's so corrupt. And so you have to keep that in mind. As a, as a physical and spiritual being, man's not just a spiritual being. We're a physical being. There's no time that man's been without a body. We always have a body. God created man with a body, and what did he do? He breathed the spirit of life into man. We've always had a body. We're waiting for the resurrection of a glorified body. Now the question may arise, are we going to have a body in this intermediate state? Well, I don't know. Since we've always had a body, we may have a body of some kind, an intermediate state body. I don't know. But we've always had a body. But it won't be our permanent body because when we dwell with him, We'll be, our bodies will be resurrected and we'll live in heaven, in eternal heaven, in a glorified body like unto Jesus. That's coming, okay? Now, distinguishing the present. Uh, books on heaven often fail to distinguish between the intermediate state and the eternal state. Using the one word, what? Heaven. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's true. We're going to heaven. But it's, uh, it's, the, it's the temporary heaven. It's the intermediate heaven. It's not the permanent heaven. So kind of keep that in mind. The intermediate and eternal state. One word, heaven. All inclusive. So during our study, I'll refer to the present heaven or the intermediate heaven as to the place where the believer goes at death. 
and I'll refer to the eternal state as the eternal heaven or the new earth. Now, what will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Two questions, same questions, two different heavens. What will heaven be like? Well, what will heaven be like? There's, there's two different answers. The present, immediate heaven is in the angelic realm. We know we talked about that last week. That's the angelic realm, the present heaven now, the angelic realm. We're spirits, okay? We're spirits. We're, that's the angelic realm, distinctly separate from the earth. By contrast, the eternal heaven will be the human realm on earth then the dwelling place of God will also be the dwelling place of humanity in a resurrected universe. Look, if you will, at um, Revelation 21. Let's look at verse 3. Kind of all falls together here. John said, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Okay? Now, um, let's go back up just a moment. Look at verse 1. I'm sorry, I didn't read all I needed to. Verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, first earth had passed away. And we're going to find out it's not destroyed. This, this earth is not going to be destroyed. It's, it, new doesn't mean something that's never been here before. But it's going to be what? It's going to be purified. It's going to be cleansed. Okay? It's not going to be any sin, any corruption, anything left over from sin. After that, after there was... Uh, let me go back. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then, listen, I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, doing what? Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so... Um, heaven, God's dwelling place will one day be on the new earth. Notice the new Jerusalem, which was in heaven, will come down out of heaven from God. And where does it go? It goes to the new earth. And from that time on, the dwelling place of God will be with the redeemed mankind, really on a redeemed earth. New earth. Some say that some say that the, the new earth should not be called heaven, but it's pretty clear that God's dwelling place, if that's God's dwelling place, then that should be called heaven. We're told that the dwelling place of God will be with mankind on earth, then heaven and earth will essentially be the same place. That God would come down to this new earth to live with us fits perfectly his original plan. Remember the earth he created? But this fits his original plan. 
God could have taken Adam and Eve up to heaven to visit with him and his world, but instead he came down to walk with them in their world. Very important. John 14, 23. You can jot this verse down. John 14, 23. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. John 14, 23. Let me read that again. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home, make our home with him. And so the picture of God's ultimate plan is not to take us up to live in a realm made for him, but to come down and live with us in the realm that he's made for us. Okay? Let me read that again. You can see it. It's a picture of his ultimate plan. Not to take us up to live in a realm made for him, but to come down and live with us in a realm that he made for us. All right? Uh, let me read a couple of quotes and we're about finished. This quote, uh, let's see if I can go to the... This is from, uh, this is from a theologian, uh, Hokema, I believe. Listen to what he says. Alcorn says, I kindly agree with this theologian. The new Jerusalem does not remain in heaven, far off in space, but it comes down to the renewed earth. There the redeemed will spend eternity in resurrected bodies. So heaven and earth, now separated, will be merged. The new earth will be also be heaven, since God will dwell there with his people. Glorified believers, in other words, will continue to be in heaven while they're inhabiting the new earth. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorites, um, says this, that's an old favorite. He says about the New Jerusalem, verse 2 suggests that this heavenly city will, will hover over the earth during the millennium and then descend when the new creation is ushered in. So, Warren Wiersbe, and then you have David Jeremiah, we have him marked here, he said, um, many have heard this event described something like a, a nuclear configuration. The earth dissolving in an indescribable ball of fire. Randy Alcorn, so he's quoting Randy Alcorn, has verbalized his own change of thinking on this subject, which parallels my own. So Jeremiah thinks this way. 
for many years as a Bible student and later as a pastor. I didn't think in terms of renewal or restoration. Instead, I believed God was going to destroy the earth, abandon his original design and plan, and start over by implementing a new plan in an unearthly heaven. Only in the past 15 years or so have my eyes been opened to what Scripture has said all along. Peter's words about burning and fire continually sound alike. Well, burning and fire. But the original Greek does not suggest, in, uh, uh, suggest that interpretation. The New International Version has a more accurate rendering. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. The ideal is that being uncovered, not not destroyed, but purified, not burned up, the material elements of the current earth will degenerate, or disintegrate, I'm sorry, and fall apart, and out of what remains, God will create something new. Now, there are two words for new in the Greek language. One, Peter uses, is a word that means new in terms of quality, not new in terms of never existing. That means the new earth is not something that is brand new, but a new version of the original. Remember his original intent when he created the earth and put Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the original earth, but in a renovated and refreshed form. At the end of the millennium, after all the judgments and prior to the beginning of the eternal state, all the decay and corruption of the earth is going to be taken away and all evidence of disease and destruction, depravity, and so far as it's impacted the physical earth will be eliminated and the present earth will be cleansed and purified and made new. Commentator William Henderson described the change this way. The first heavens, the first earth have passed away. The very foundation of the earth have been subject to purifying fire. Every stain of sin, every trace of death has been removed. And out of the great conflagration, a new universe has been born. The, the word used in the original implies it was new, but not other. It's a new world, but not another world. It's the same heaven, it's the same earth but it's been gloriously rejuvenated. So God is, God's original declaration that the earth was very good has not been rescinded. He's not, get, he's not going to destroy his original creation. He's going to make it, just make it pure once again as it was in the beginning. As Randy Alcorn says, quote, God doesn't throw away his handiwork and start from scratch. Instead, he uses the same canvas to repair and make beautiful the painting married by, uh, or marred by the, by the vandal. The vandal, which is Satan, doesn't get the satisfaction of destroying his rival's masterpiece. On the contrary, God makes an even greater masterpiece out of what the enemy sought to destroy. That's beautiful. And so the devil's not going to win in regards to destroying uh, the earth. It's not going to be destroyed. It's going to be rejuvenated. Let me read one other and I'll close with this. Several books, see, several books on heaven state that the New Jerusalem will not descend to earth, but will remain sup uh, suspended over the earth. But Revelation 21.2 doesn't say this. When John watches the city coming down from heaven, 
There's no reason to believe that it stops before it reaches the new earth. The assumption that it remains suspended over the earth arises from the notion that heaven and earth must always be separate. But Scripture indicates that it will be joined. Their present incompatibility is due to a temporary abrasion. Earth is under the sin and curse, and once that abrasion is corrected, heaven and earth will be fully compatible again. Ephesians 1, verse 10. And so, there you have it. I know there's a lot of questions you have, and you've written a bunch of them down, and they're so good. I've read all of them. I had one more, uh, well, two slips of paper turned in tonight. But we're going to deal, we're, gonna, we're not going to deal with any tonight. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to teach through the topic of heaven, and probably for some weeks after that, we'll deal with, um, uh, we'll deal with the questions that you had, because I think during our time of study, some of your answers, some of your, uh, the answers to your questions are going to be, going to be answered. And so, uh, I'm going to end with a song, and, uh, and by the way, Kyle mentioned uh, last week's session, if you weren't here, uh, there's, uh, on the Welcome Center, there is, um, uh, there is a, uh, some, um, study guides that we handed out last week. You can pick one of those up, listen to the podcast. You can fill that in if you like. But there's some there, and then, of course, you pick those up at the podium if you would.